Hi, I'm a higher ed CMO and I have a confession to make. About half of my career has been spent at schools that serve rural populations and most of my career has been in red states. And there's nothing inherently wrong with either of those at all. But there are definitely some challenges when it comes to conveying the value of higher education in those environments. And that's why I'm really, really grateful that Lauren Griswold was willing to come on the show to talk about an amazing campaign that she did in the state of Idaho, really promoting the value of higher ed, and then also tying that back to her university and, you know, boosting enrollment at her institution. So I think that Every higher ed marketing professional who works at a public university, works at a rural serving university, or really is interested in promoting the value of higher education to your audiences, needs to listen to this episode and learn more about what Lauren did in the state of Idaho and for her institution, Boise State. Welcome to Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, the podcast designed for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Jamie Hunt, and I am so excited to have this opportunity to share insights and inspiration. With Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO, I'm designing a different kind of podcasting experience. With each episode, I'll be bringing in a guest for a deep dive into the challenges and joys we all face in higher education marketing. After each episode, you can join the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag HigherEdCMO. I would love to see this become like a book club, but for a podcast. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at at JamieHuntIMC. That's J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C for more opportunities to connect. I am so happy to be here with Lauren Griswold, who's the Chief Communications and Marketing Officer at Boise State University. Hi, Lauren. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Jamie? I am great, especially now that I get to have this conversation with you. We're going to be talking a little bit to give our our listeners some context about the work that Lauren has done at Boise State specifically addressing some of the concerns about the value of a college degree, but also the value of a college degree in a really rural state. But before we jump into that, can you tell us a little bit about your higher ed journey, Lauren? Absolutely. Well, I'm really happy to be here. I feel very honored knowing how many wonderful uh, CMOs there are around our entire country. I started out in higher education and in 13 at Arizona State. Prior to that, I had a career um, working in professional baseball. So very, very different world to go from one to the other. I went to grad school actually at Arizona State and had an incredible experience. Then took a quick stop at Edelman Public Relations and worked with Microsoft. There's no straight line to where you're getting and it's definitely a journey. And I was really looking for working for an organization with a mission and a purpose. And I had an opportunity, it was perfect timing to join a new visionary leader from Arizona State. Not knowing about working within higher ed, of course I had you know, got my master's degree from there. It hadn't even kind of been on my list of places to go. I was recruited and had the opportunity to meet this incredible dean. Arizona State, one of the largest universities in the country we know, one of 17 colleges, 
And then we also were on one of the the metro campuses that was that's there in the Phoenix area. So it was the first marketer for this specific college. And I really, you know, got my start there being that sole person that had to figure out for the first time for this college, what is their marketing plan? How are they going to recruit students? How are they going to solicit donations? How are they going to impact students, you know, prospective students within that area and encourage them to, you know, come on to come to the university. So following that, had a quick stop at the enterprise level hub at ASU, where I oversaw all of the, I work for our amazing chief brand officer, Jill Andrews. She is phenomenal. I actually probably owe a lot of my success with my career in higher ed to her. I learned so much. I oversaw every project and tactic that came through our hub with a pretty significant budget and with about a hundred contributors who were helping produce those deliverables. Yeah, so it's very interesting experience. I think there's been a shift in kind of marketing models in higher education over the last decade. And at ASU, at the same time I started there, they started to build up that central brand office that hadn't really existed before. They hired a CMO, um, Dan Dillon, who had come from the private sector to really refocus and figure out brand marketing within higher ed, not just enrollment, not just media relations, but how do we approach brand marketing? So I was really part of helping build that up and shape that. Then I, you know, like our life, our personal lives take us. My dad had an illness and I actually ended up taking a position back in Oregon to be closer to family for the year and went uh, and worked for a community college. And, you know, I can't say enough about the amazing folks that work within community colleges, because the people that you're serving, you know, a lot of first generation, we had a lot of refugee students, um, yeah, uh, which was, you know, incredible to be able to help, you know, those populations of people. And um, I just learned and took away so much. And I think walking in a little bit of what your transfer students' shoes are like at that four-year university level. So jumping into how I got to Boise State, so my that visionary dean I told you about at ASU, she actually became president of Boise State. And she called me up and said, hey, what do you think about coming here and working at Boise State? And it's a university on the rise. It's grown from a community college to an R2. We've seen, it's really incredible, the trajectory. We've obviously seen rapid growth within the city of Boise over the last five years, especially, but we've had an increase in our research awards, I think maybe 40% over the last five years. So, so looking at that, looking at the strength of our philanthropy, looking at our strength of enrollment, it's, you know, a top innovator across the U.S., you know, for me, it felt very exciting to come to a place where we can really, you know, make an impact and where we, I, I liked Boise State, especially because there weren't those, the old way of doing things where you can't try something new. You, you know, can't, you know, take a risk and fail. You have these old systems in place that are so difficult to move. We don't really have that here in those same ways because we're relatively young. And so that, is what really excited me. And so here I am, Chief uh, Communications and Marketing Officer. We did a reorg when I came on board. We shifted from a media relations model to a brand model. I have 23 direct reports, but we have, we're decentralized. So we have over 100 marketers across our enterprise. So 
yet 32,000 annual headcount of students that we serve. And yeah, I just feel really honored to be in this spot and get to tell the amazing stories of our students and our faculty and our impact, not only in Boise, but in our state. Hey all, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO. I want to take a moment to thank my friends at MindPower who are making season two of this Enrollify podcast possible. MindPower is a full-service marketing and branding firm celebrating nearly 30 years of needle-moving, thought-provoking, research-fueled creative and strategy. MindPower is woman-founded and owned, WBENC certified, nationally recognized, and serves the social sector, higher education, healthcare, nonprofits, and more. The MindPower team is made up of strategists, storytellers, and experienced creators. From market research to brand campaigns to recruitment to fundraising, the agency exists to empower clients, amplify brands, and help institutions find a strategic way forward. You can learn more about their work in the world by heading on over to MindPower Inc. That's M-I-N-D-P-O-W-E-R-I-N-C.com. And be sure to tell the crew that Jamie sent you their way. That is awesome. I think that um, it sounds like it's just one of those universities that's on the right trajectory and is headed toward thriving. And I'm so glad that you're at a place that lets you have that freedom to fail. I was just today talking in a focus group because we're going through a rebrand about how important that freedom to fail is. And that if you look at failure as a conclusion, like if you try something and you fail and that's the end, then that's sort of dispiriting and depressing and discouraging. But if you look at failure as an opportunity to learn and grow and to take whatever failure you have and apply that to what you're going to do going forward, that it really, um, changes your perspective on taking risks. And I love that you have that, that freedom to fail at Boise State. But Idaho, so that is a fairly rural state. As we start this conversation, can you give a little bit of context on the current state of higher education in Idaho? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I think before we jump into Idaho, it's important to give some national context <laughs> because we're not a lot, we're not really different than a lot of other states and probably a lot of folks listening to this podcast. So we know it's no secret that both K-12 and higher ed have been politicized. And I think increasingly so over the last four or five years. And a lot of people like to measure our states by the color of blue or red, but not everybody. And so, you know, as educators, you know, it's really important for us to kind of cut across that and to be that place where people from all viewpoints can come and get the education that they that they need, that they're searching for. I think another thing to know about the national context and kind of the shift that we've seen is the advancement of technology, especially through social media and how anybody can become a news correspondent. And so when you look at, you know, some of those, those realities, which are what, you know, we have been facing over the last four years, it can create what could be perceived as, you know, a difficult environment. People don't like higher education. It's, you know, because, because of the politics that have been associated with it. And one person has a negative experience and it can become quickly amplified. So I think Idaho in particular is, is interesting because we can be almost put under the microscope and compared to nationally because we're 
Boise is the largest city within our state. The university is in this place. And we almost become, you know, a case study for what a culture war can look like, where urban areas may be considered more blue in color, and then the rest of the state that's rural may be considered more red. So that in itself has been something interesting for us to kind of navigate on that national scale to kind of be the leading on how it is that we approach education in a politicized environment. Rural, so Idaho in general is very rural. So we have 35 of Idaho's 44 counties are rural, and 18 of those are considered frontier, which means that there's less than six people per square mile. So we have I believe it is the second largest wilderness area in the lower 48. And this really has an impact when you're trying to reach people. And so we have, we face geographic distances. We have obviously physical distances like forests and mountains. That affects social mobility. That affects, you know, your technology. That affects the ability for people to reach and access education. We, these are the things that we know. We also, when we talk specifically about Idaho, we have, I looked up our census data today just to make sure 29% of Idahoans have bachelor's degrees. And we have, we're above average on high school degrees at about 92%, which is interesting. But we have one of the lowest go on rates from students who are going from high school to college. We kind of teeter at, you know, number two, number three in the country. And so a lot of that really does have to do with location, messaging getting out there, people not physically being close to access to those educational opportunities. Boise Boise specifically, like I said a little bit earlier, we've had rapid growth here because we are that kind of central urban area. There was a pretty low cost of living about five years ago. And it's, it is skyrocketed, but that has, you know, created an influx of folks moving here. Boise State in general, we're one of the largest employers in our entire state. Probably not a lot of universities can say that. So when you think of, we're not only, we are the largest university in our state. We're one of the largest employers. We don't have professional sports in Idaho. And so our Boise State teams are the equivalent of those premier sports teams, our football team and our men's basketball team. So we have a huge impact, not only in Boise, but across our entire state. We have, we've served 32,000 folks. We have 164,000 living alumni. And interestingly enough, when you kind of dive into the makeup of our student body, with around 3,000 of our first year students, we have about 3,000 first year students. Almost 900 were Pell eligible and almost 900 identified as first generation. There obviously could be some overlap there. We're also an emerging HSI institution, very large military serving population. We have 1,500 active military and veterans that we serve. So when you think about Idaho and what higher education is like here, you know, we are truly making a difference. We're serving a lot of first generation college students. We're reaching families that probably haven't had a lot of access to higher education or know a lot about what that looks like, not only for four-year universities, but also for our community colleges. So a lot of it is really what they're seeing in the news. So we talked about that a little bit earlier and what they're hearing from political leaders 
talked about that earlier as well. And so it's our job and my job specifically to try to figure out how do we cut through that noise and actually talk about the value that higher education brings to those students and their families. So how do you do that? You know, in within the context of what you just explained, and I think for the listeners, there's over a thousand schools that are considered to be rural serving institutions. And there are a lot of red states in this country and a lot of pockets of red in this country. So I think there's a lot of folks that I think would benefit from what you have to say about how you have approached at Boise State effectively communicating the benefits of higher ed. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to shared values. And my personal belief is that we have more in common with each other than we do uh, not in common. And so when we start from a place of good and a place of shared values, and we can really, I think, build something strong from there. Our One of our biggest successes, I started to see this shift take place before the pandemic and the narrative nationally start changing about the value of higher education. We've been hearing for years, like, is college worth it? And so, you know, of course, a lot of us are answering those questions and it's become, you know, increasingly more important. I pitched the idea. So our four-year institutions, we have four universities, public universities in Idaho, and our presidents all report to our State Board of Education. And they, the presidents are so collaborative and they meet together to discuss these very same topics. And so I actually went in and pitched to our, it's called our President's Leadership Council in, with my president, a joint campaign and what it would look like to bring our four institutions together to start tackling these very questions. What is the value of higher education? If we have a very large population of people who you know, haven't had access to higher education, then it's our job to start talking more about collectively what the greater good is um, for them individually and for our state. So that's where we started. And we worked with a local agency. I led the campaign with um, my counterparts um, at the other institutions. And we conducted some early market research on messaging. We There was no model to follow. We couldn't find other states kind of doing this same type of work in the same way. You see it in athletics with conferences, but we hadn't seen it on the academic side with with universities and with all the universities in a state, maybe systems, but not collectively as a state. So we built our campaign for you, for us, for Idaho. We launched it. We've done it for two years. And we, of course, did, you know, the gamut of any type of paid placement that we could possibly do. We produced two spots. We did out of home. We did a lot of digital assets, SEM. We looked at our demographic of our audience and influencers on our prospective student audiences. I mean, we were down to looking at the television shows that they're watching and making sure that we're serving within those time slots. Traditional radio, still very big here in Idaho. Talking about rural, we don't, some places have a really hard time with internet access. The same goes for print. And so we actually did do a print campaign in our, in our news outlets, but that's because that is how we reach the demographic of folks that we were trying to reach. So as we went through that from 
launching it in maybe October through March or so, we, you know, 10 million impressions, 8,000 new users to the landing page we created, you know, just tons of engagement, 70,000 people engaging with our posts. And then what really struck me is on year two, following, you know, of course, refreshing our campaign, putting it out there again. We did um, some additional testing following our campaign. And we saw this is where the mark is with some truly incredible results. The top five areas of sentiment that general population of Idahoans who were perceiving higher education because of our campaign were happy, motivated, excited, inspired, and hopeful. They were all positive, all positive. And we had another interesting data point that 39% of respondents that had a negative view on higher education were swayed after seeing our campaign from neutral to positive. Idaho, our state institutions don't have large budgets for marketing. Boise State actually didn't have a, a budget to do any type of being out in the market at all when I got here because it was a media relations model. It was a, a different world that we were living in. And so with no one out there telling our narrative for the last four or five years, people were telling it for us. And it goes, goes back to anybody can be a news correspondent telling what the Boise State or University of Idaho or what education or higher education does or doesn't do for them. And so with us being out in the market for two years and for us really putting in that strategy behind messaging, I mean, we went as far as we looked at our different content buckets. We did focus group testing. We did, you know, we were doing quantum call just to obviously make sure. Is this the kind of messaging that is going to resonate with them so that we're not throwing something, seeing if it's spaghetti to see if it sticks to the wall. This is something that we know is going to really help move the needle. And it has. I didn't know that it would. <laughs> I had a hunch. If, if we're not out there telling our story, though, we're just giving it, we're just giving the opportunity for anybody else to tell it for us. And so I'm really proud that four institutions with different CEOs came together with one common goal in mind because we all have the same shared values and wanted to connect with our audiences in a really meaningful way. And we have seen that positive shift. I feel like I want to send this episode to every higher ed marketer in the country because collectively we need to figure out how to convey this message. Like it is just so essential. Honestly, I, I'm. this is going to sound hyperbolic, but I mean it. It's about the continuation of our society and our democracy. Like we really have to value and support higher education. And the way that like people are just so negative on it is just so disheartening. And it's something I think we all need to care about. And I need to know what was your messaging? Like what were you telling people that caused this shift? Absolutely. And you know, it's, there's no perfect combination of what will work, but that's where we started out with our for you, for us, for Idaho. For Idahoans, we know that they're very humble. We're very humble people here. We're trailblazers, but we don't brag about it. We care about kind of practicalities in life, like cost. So what we did was we really kept it simple. Affordability, program offer offerings, outcomes. So when you get into 
those three buckets, those were the areas we tested. Those were, you know, we tested a bunch of things and those were what bubbled up to the top. You know, am I going to be able to afford this? And what does this look like? Because for some, you know, they may not know about student financial aid. They might not know like what this investment can do, you know, with once they get their outcome of their degree. We can see data and say to someone, you'll, if you get your college degree on average, you'll make more than a million dollars more in your lifetime. If you don't, people just generally don't know that stat. When we look at the cost, how do we talk about that? How do we kind of start breaking that down and then providing support on our university campuses to educate folks on that as well? So our messaging, some of our messaging, I'll just name a few, higher ed, lower cost, a stronger Idaho, one degree at a time, earning comes from learning, preparing today's students for the jobs of tomorrow. And so really it, it just came down to those three those three buckets in those three areas. Then what we did was we took faculty and students, mostly students though, some alum from each institution and we created vignettes. So they were all included in our spots or two spots. And then we created vignettes on each and then kind of sliced them and diced them across our various channels through the paid campaign to learn, you know, what are it, and then measuring who's kind of getting the most clicks, whose stories are really resonating. We had two in particular. One was a student from University of Idaho. Dairy is very large here, just like potatoes. I'm sure <laughs> I, I had to get that in a potato joke at some point in time during the conversation. But dairy is very large here. And so they have a huge dairy program in agriculture at University of Idaho. So showing her at her dairy, working with an engineering degree, you know, was something that really rose for an engage with engagement for our audiences. And then also we, we talk about physical barriers living in rural states. We have a lot of, and I learned this moving here four years ago, life flight helicopters that fly to rural areas to bring people closer to the healthcare that they need in emergency situations. And I have them flying over my house all day, every day. And so having a life flight nurse from our Lewis and Clark State College, that really was something that resonated with folks as well. So some of it was the messaging. I think a lot of it was the people. And what were what I the the philosophy I always try to take when I'm working on a campaign is you want your audience to see a part of themselves in that that person's story. So it really comes down to, you know, who you're selecting and making sure that they there's a broad representation of the folks within your audience that you're trying to reach. This is so fantastic. And right now I'm going to say my colleagues in Virginia, I have sent this podcast to you and now you're listening to it and we need to do this because it's just just amazing the needle that you were able to move. Were there any particular tactics that were more effective than others? Well, digital is always, you know, is the one that you can always measure the most. We're, we only can see impressions, eyeballs on billboards and circulation and print. So of course we like to look at our digital. It was not tied to specific lead generation. It was definitely high level brand awareness. And so it would be very difficult to uh, all the marketers on the tech side to know how we would connect a land and joint landing page through all of our funnels. And that felt something that was a little too cumbersome. And so tactics wise, I just digital social was our highest performer by far. We had a lot of engagement. 
interestingly enough, from year one to year two on our social media posts, we had, so we did, what was interesting the second year was how the, if there were any negative comments about higher education that came up, it wasn't anybody from one of the institutions responding and having to say, oh, you know, please contact so-and-so and we'll, you know, connect you to fix this. It was, it turned into our, the audience on there supporting higher education going, hey, actually, it's a really great experience. And I love the four years that I had. And so we saw that as um, a signal that a shift from year one to year two, that now it's our audience who's kind of speaking up a little bit more and talking about that value to their peers versus the message just coming one way from the institutions. So that was actually something that was a big takeaway for us that we saw that shift. So let me ask you this. Did this campaign run year round and then you kind of shifted the tactics or was this, I think you mentioned like November to, to spring or, or what was your timing on it? Yes, we did late fall through um, early spring and we did that for two years. And so during that between time, we did a refresh. We didn't want to oversaturate the market. It's obviously starting yield season into March. And so we feel really good about that. We also had our own brand level campaigns running simultaneously. And so while we want to, we also didn't want to be out in the market competing with the, with our own statewide campaign. So it was a little tricky trying to figure out. So what we did was kind of brand our own brand level campaigns early fall for prospective students and then yielding that March, April, May timeframe. And then the in-between time was the statewide campaign. Okay. I know that you were all public institutions, but um, do you have any thoughts about how privates might piggyback onto something like this? You know, I haven't really thought a lot about private institutions. I think it's just a different kind of makeup because with publics, not the value, I think the value especially, but for public institutions, because we're state funded, you know, we just have a different type of responsibility for our state. And we really do need to talk more about what the value is that we're bringing. So I don't know if this would necessarily work for private institutions. I think, you know, it may be something a little bit different that they have to tackle. Well, I think there's sort of a responsibility that those of us who are at public institutions kind of have as like a public good to be promoting the public good of higher education. And that's, yeah, that's just almost my entire career has been at publics. I started at a tiny little private for three years, but I do think that publics, like we sit in a unique place of being funded by taxpayers, but then often not supported by taxpayers, if you're making the distinction between financial support and, you know, just general support. So yeah, I could see. And I think that the power of multiple public institutions coming together, that's what really jumped out at me about what you did was that it wasn't just your institution, it was this partnership. And did you have any challenges or obstacles with getting buy-in from the other CMOs at those institutions? You know, we didn't. And I feel really fortunate that I have such incredible colleagues at the other institutions. And, 
you know, we work really well together and we'd already kind of formed an, a group to meet regularly and talk through any challenges we're facing or opportunities to collaborate. And so I kind of look like, you know, look at it as we're all an extension of each other's teams. And when one of us is rising up, then the others rise up as well. And I think it's important. This is just my philosophy. It's important for me to convey this to my team. And I think my colleagues have this same, have this same view as well, but I'm not in competition with them. And I, I think that when one of us succeeds, all of us are going to succeed and we shouldn't be thinking of it in those terms. And I know that's hard to say because there's a lot of people who are struggling with enrollment and you may be physically closer to a lot of other universities. And, you know, I've just talked about how we're all spread out over here in Idaho. But I do think that one, uh, there's a, my VP of student affairs sent me uh, a picture last week of a presentation he was at. And he was like, I just thought you would love this. And I did. It was like, you know, your brand is for someone. It's not for everyone. And when we have that mentality, we can collectively work together because the experience you're going to have at an urban university like ours is not going to be like our land grant university up in Moscow. So it really, I just feel very fortunate that we were so collegial and we still are and that we enjoy each other and that we work so well together. That is awesome. I love that. And I love that about when I've worked within state systems in in uh, North Carolina, we became a really tight knit bunch, particularly around COVID when we're like, what are you doing? <laughs> what, what is your president saying? Um, and then now in Virginia, we meet, you know, every other week and just kind of share what's going on. And it's, it's lovely. And I try to picture like our Coke and Pepsi CMOs, like getting together to share <laughs> ideas. I doubt it. Probably not. <laughs> right. When I was at Microsoft, we called the the other company that the, the fruit cart down South because <laughs> we're in Seattle. They're obviously in Silicon Valley. So I'm probably not. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, so uh, have you used any of this messaging in your institutional branding or how is your institutional branding informed by this messaging? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, a little bit of it, I think really it has to do with kind of my philosophy on storytelling and finding the right people to help you, you know, push your message. I actually worked with Simpson Scarborough. We brought them on board and had a really incredible engagement with them. We didn't want to carry over the same types of exact messaging, but I think we can take you know some of the high-level content buckets that we knew res were resonating with audiences as far as like affordability and programs and outcomes with us as we started to embark on our work with them. But really, it's that was much more high-level, and now we're getting down to a little bit more of the who is it who is interested in our brand, not just about higher education. And so digging in a little bit deeper, and they helped us do that. We worked on market research for the first time at our brand level. They came for discovery sessions. I think we had three days of discovery with over 130 stakeholders. We did surveying of prospective students and parents, current students and parents, employees, faculty and staff, 
alumni, and then we did do general population of Idaho to really help us understand more deeply related to Boise State, what do you think of our university? You know, what do you think of our brand? Is this, is it positive? Is it negative? You know, is it what kind of resonates with you? And then from there with our engagement, we worked on building a brand platform. So a framework that really helps drive our strategy for messaging and for creative. We've never had anything like that at the university before. And so with those kind of guiding documents with our research finance, with our brand platform, we built out our, our brand new creative. So we had, we did a new spot. We did a paid media campaign. We worked on the, how they kind of results wise um, for Simpson Scarborough, they help you find your strategic drivers. So what are the areas in which your audience is going to really connect with? You win when you talk about these types of people or these types of experiences. So help having them help us identify those helped us identify the types of stories, the types of people that we um, wanted to pick to represent our brand. So I call them our brand heroes because they all have just amazing stories. We started out, we had to whittle it down to five. And I had about 50 people that I went through looking at just one after the other. But as we started to really use that brand platform and look at the data on what it is that would resonate with audiences, it really became obvious on the people that we should select. And so we wanted to make sure that we had a lot of Idahoans who were featured in our spot. Um, wanted to make sure we were showcasing, you know, a faculty member, someone who's in the classroom and in the lab. Athletics, obviously big part of our national brand, but also really important locally to us. So featuring a football athlete and then a volleyball athlete. And then, you know, first generation college students. What is that like as an emerging HSI showing a strong female in engineering? So we we selected very intentional with selecting our folks. And we were very intentional with every word within our script, within our paid media, within our campaign. And what they really did for us too was creating a campaign that's more than a tagline, creating a surround sound experience where you can use that framework of your brand platform and create different messaging that's related to that so that if your messaging isn't getting stale, that you're not oversaturated with one certain area of, that you're not oversaturating the market with one term, but that you're creating this experience for them that is helping bring positive sentiment and build affinity or build pride for internal or alumni stakeholders. So we didn't carry over messaging from the statewide campaign, but we had some of the same principles as we went through building the our own Boise State campaign. How are you measuring the success of the, that campaign? How long, well, first off, I guess I would say is how long have you been in the marketplace with that one? And then how are you measuring the success of that? So we had never been out in the market from a brand level before. So it was our first go at it. We lightly launched in the springtime to kind of gauge and see where we're at. Now, enrollment does not report through me. And so we're building, we have a a brand new, amazing vice president of student affairs, and we're building new collaboration and partnership together on how our brand level can support 
our enrollment communications. We have some exciting things that I can kind of share in our phase two with Simpson Scarborough. But yeah, we were out March through May. So kind of about a yield season, pretty high level. We, a lot of various tactics we wanted to see at the end of it, what is performing. So then we can look at how we then evolve the campaign for our next cycle. And so our measurements, uh, you know, it's a brand campaign. Our people, you know, you're getting a lot of feedback in real time about it, obviously. (laughs) Um, Everybody's a a marketer or knows about marketing. It's amazing. Uh, It's amazing. Everyone's a marketing (laughs) expert. Uh, But we, we did have a lot of positive reaction to it. We actually shared it for the first time with our foundation board. And Jason Simon, the CEO of Simpson Scarborough came with me and we presented it um, to, to our foundation board. And they were just blown away by how they were all seeing themselves in our spot and in the work of our paid assets as we you know, gave them kind of that sneak peek before it went on the market. But really it comes down to and where we're headed. So we're building a more um, mature marketing model. We are in that process of becoming much more sophisticated in our tech stack. I think we're probably in three years, talk to us, I think we're going to be in a really good place. Uh, but aligning all of our legacy systems and stacking them up, really supporting how we build that funnel and then how we're building messaging around that, how we're um, driving engagement and, and pushing people down through that funnel. So we're in that process right now. So we're kind of doing all of these things simultaneously. We had high level of engagement on our social media and our SEM. Those were our top two performers. And when we look at our, our analytics, We use Metrics Edge. They're an incredible company um, that helps us with all of our analytics side of the house. And they've built customized dashboards for virtually, they'll do it for virtually anything. So we actually built a custom dashboard for this particular campaign. And we saw over 500 leads coming into our funnel. And then we actually had 80 um, applications submitted because of our campaign. So as we look at our yield season and trying to yield for the first time being out of the market. So this is in addition to kind of all of our enrollment, you know, communications that are going out there. This is an add-on and an addition to, and that really helped us increase enrollment this year. So for us, it was like, hey, here's a little win. As we start to become more sophisticated and start to partner more with the enrollment side of the house, we'll bring stronger metrics in to help us identify where our successes are, or where our gaps are. But For our first shot, we feel pretty good about where we landed. What we're doing now is we're out in the market right now for fall and we'll be out again in spring. It's kind of what we talked about, maybe statewide in the middle. And we are, we're doubling down on our most successful paid channels. So we're only doing our SEM and digital for the fall and we're going to test it out and see, you know, how that, uh, you know, what type of leads we're going, we're getting from that. And if we are, you know, converting any of those folks uh, to enroll. That is awesome. I wish you weren't 2,600 miles away from me so that we could like be regularly <laughs> having lunch together and talking shop. But but this sounds absolutely fabulous. And one of the things I'm, this is kind of a pivot from what we were originally talking about, but you mentioned you're working for a really visionary leader, and but you also mentioned that you're moving from this media relations heavy model to a more marketing and branding heavy model. Um, 
have you had to do anything on your campus to sell people on that shift in approach or have people been like, this is what we've been waiting for? You know, I think whenever, you know, in Idaho, I'm from the Northwest, I'm from Oregon. So it's kind of like this too. You know, you're kind of skeptical of the newcomer coming in and saying, we're going to change everything. And it's like, are they going to change everything for the good or the bad? But because I, because of the way I, I think that I approach my work and our profession, building out, you know, pitch decks and annual plans tied to our strategic plan. And I'm very much a connector of uh, people across our campus. So even though we're decentralized, I want every marketer to feel like they're an extension and a part of our team. So I, I think that it's, this is what we've been waiting for. We've been hoping to have this kind of framework and this strategy to start operating within. And it was just a different world before. And there weren't the same type of resources dedicated to marketing communication. I will say I have the most talented team I've ever worked with. And it's because of their flexibility, their growth mindset, their willingness to take a risk on me and my vision for how we could execute this. And we're still doing this. We're always, this is the ASU and me, the ASU grad, always innovated, always innovating, always thinking of new ways of trying things, thinking outside of the box, taking that risk. And they're willing to walk alongside me and do that. And sometimes I'm like, I'm going to follow you. What's the, how do you think that we should do this? What are the new things you're learning across the industry? You know, how do you think we can become better? So I think it's a really great partnership. And I owe a lot of credit to my incredible team, especially my leadership. They're absolutely phenomenal. And I could do without them. I love that. And I think kind of what you're saying is you're giving them the freedom to explore and take risks and be innovative and take chances. And I got to believe that I'm not the only person and that you're not the only person who wants that freedom, who's like hungry for the opportunity to just like take the reins off and let me show you what I can do and let me do stuff that's going to make a huge difference. And I think that that approach to leadership is just allows you to build the kind of team that it sounds like you've built. Um, Absolutely. I think we can give people a framework of what we're looking for. And then I want to see what they produce within that framework. I want them to be creative. And 99% of the time, they have a better idea than I do. And I'm just blown away by what they come back with. And so I think it really comes down to trust. You know, you have to trust that you've hired, you know, really amazing people. And then you just let them shine. I love that. And I think that people sense that you trust them and people sense that you think that they're amazing and that you think that they're going to do a great job. And when people have that expectation that they know that you expect that of them, most people are willing to rise to that challenge and just really kind of take those training wheels off and take the plunge to do their best work. And I love that. So as we kind of start wrapping up, what advice would you give to other institutions who maybe sit in a similar place? Maybe they're a public and maybe they're in a, a state that's red or they're in a state that's heavily rural or just 
they're a rural institution. I know, you know, like Virginia's purple, but there's a lot of universities that are in really rural areas and serve a really rural population. What advice would you have for them? You know, I think some of the best things I've done is reaching out to my colleagues across the state and making and forming those connections, because that's where you can start having conversations about how you could partner and work together, even if it's not in a formal way with some type of paid campaign that's out in the market. There could be strategies that, you know, you can that you can build together or that you can also learn from one another. For me, everything we do for the most part, (laughs) maybe not everything, for the most part, is driven by research. And so I think starting with research so that you really understand your audience and that you're listening to them. So finding, you know, if you don't have the means to, which we don't, to conduct our own market research, finding an agency that you really trust, like I did with Simpson Scarborough. I also think the other advice I have is, you know, For us, we build our annual plan uh, for marketing and communications tied to our strategic plan. So we take our strategic goals and then we align all of our work to those strategic goals. So I can take every cent, every penny that I spend, every tactic that we deliver, and I can tie it to the goals and objectives in our university strategic plan. I think that's really important as well, because that's also about your audiences too, because those are the people that you're trying to serve and the goals you're trying to achieve to help them. So, and lastly, demonstrate your results. So if you can, you know, as my team, (laughs) I've done it now, we're going into year three with our massive proof of performance deck. So we take our plan and then we start really digging in to what our results look like. And some of it is, you know, pretty high level. How does the brand support each college through our brand level marketing channels and, you know, including magazine spreads and social media posts. Some of it comes down to, you know, the metrics. We did this paid campaign. What does that look like? Metrics I was rattling off I today, I actually pulled from our proof of performance deck um, with our slides and then sharing it with leadership. So, you know, it really comes down to being transparent and talking about your results. You're not going to be um, successful at everything. There's going to be some failures along the way. So knowing that too, I think is really helpful. If you're having challenges related to the politics and, you know, how do you even deal with that? Talk to your community engagement, public affairs, legislative representative, like whoever works within the political side of your university and start, you know, really connecting with them. I have a very, you know, close relationship with our folks. I, we help with specific marketing materials, larger messaging strategies there as well to talk about all the amazing things that we're working on. You know, it can, you can really make an impact when you even take one legislative representative find a student from their district and alumni from their district and connect those folks together so that they can be the person talking about their amazing experience. It's not coming from the university, it's coming from them. So some of those micro strategies. So that's kind of my advice. You know, there's no one right way to do it. Come up with a plan, try to execute that plan. You're going to fail a little bit, measure your results, do some micro strategies, connect with people, connect, build a community of folks, reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk with anybody about our success here and our failures too. I don't shy away from that. I feel like I could have a whole episode just around your proof of performance deck. Like that's, 
I'm sitting here thinking like that is a fantastic way to show your value to your organization. And I'm just thinking about, you know, I just wrapped year one and it was a building year, right? It was hiring people, it was building an infrastructure, it was getting a brand project underway, it was making a shift to a different approach to how we do things, a lot of training, a lot of whatever. And I produced a Word document that kind of showcased that. But having that, having it be a deck that you're, maybe you're doing a road show or, you know, showing people, that's a fantastic idea. You know what? If you haven't done it before, I did it in private business in baseball. And that's where I learned this when I was 23 years old and I'm still doing it today. We take our overall strategic plan and then we build sections for each one of the goals and we fill in the work that we're doing. And it ends up being like 300 plus slides, but it also becomes your archival history of your success. And we have a hundred percent engagement with our marketers across campus. So they contribute the successes from their division and their unit athletics as well. And then I present it to our leadership team. So I presented it last week to all of our deans and vice presidents and our president. And then we, I also shared it with all of our marketers at our brand camp this year. So it really is a time to celebrate too and to start looking towards the future. Also helps you build your benchmarks so that you can see what it is you're doing year over year and helping you push forward to try to to always be better. This has been such a fantastic conversation. I've enjoyed every minute of it and I wish we could talk for like three more hours, but we can't. So Lauren, if folks want to chat with you, hopefully not for three hours at a time, but if folks want to chat with you, where can they find you? Yes, you can find me um, on LinkedIn, Lauren Griswold. You'll see me, Boise State University, Chief Communications and Marketing Officer. You can send me an email at Lauren uh, Griswold at boisestate.edu, and I'd be happy to, to chat with anyone. Awesome. Well, listeners, you can always find me on LinkedIn at Jamie Hunt. And remember the spelling of my name because I'm named after the bionic woman. Thanks mom and dad, J-A-I-M-E, instead of J-A-M-I-E, J-A-I-M-E. I'm also still kind of using the, the platform formerly known as Twitter, and I'm there at uh, J-A-I-M-E-H-U-N-T-I-M-C, Jamie Hunt I-M-C. If you want to engage in some conversation around this, please use the hashtag HireEdCMO so folks can join in that conversation. And Lauren, this is great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Of course. And everybody who's listening, let's go bust some silos. Hey, y'all. Zach here from Enrollify. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Higher Ed CMO with Jamie Hunt. If you like this episode, do us a huge favor and hit that follow and subscribe button below. Furthermore, if you've got just two minutes to spare, we would greatly appreciate you leaving a rating and a review of this show on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. But Enrollify is far more than just a podcast network. Enrollify is where higher ed comes to learn new marketing skills, discover new products and services, and find their next job. We're a growing learning community of 4,000 members, and we'd love to welcome you into the fold. You can access our free blog articles, newsletters, e-courses, and more, or purchase our master course on how to market a university with Terry Flannery at enrollify.org. 
We look forward to meeting you soon and welcoming you into the community. Again, you can subscribe for free at enrollify.org.